You're listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast. Here's the deal. If you make disciples by sitting around and talking, you shouldn't be surprised when your disciples sit around and talk and talk and talk. This is the podcast for those weary of just talking and ready to start activating in the mission Jesus gave us to change the world. The Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast, where disciples and disciple makers gather to grow and go together. Here's your host, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Hey, dear friends, great to have you with us today. Remember now, the place for a man, for a woman complete in all their powers is in the fight, in the spiritual fight, and right now today, somewhere in the world, making disciples of the nation. So stay tuned, stay encouraged. We have a rendezvous with destiny, and we've got a rendezvous with a good friend of mine. And uh, Hunter Baker's here with us today, and I'm so very excited about that. He's a he's a dear long, I, I'm going to have to discuss with you, Hunter, in just a moment. How do we get to know each other? I kind of forget that. Anyway, we're going to talk about that. And uh, I am excited because Hunter came up in a discussion. Now, he's there sipping his coffee uh, right now, but I'm going to tell you, Hunter, how, why you're here today. And you, I, I just asked you a moment ago off the air, and you didn't know why you're here. He said, I thought it was maybe to promote your book. No, I don't have you on the program to promote my book. Uh, however you say a word or two about it, I'm good with that. But anyway, having said that, no. Hunter Baker, first off, is a, uh, a PhD and a JD. So he's got two pretty serious degrees. He is the Dean of Arts and Sciences and Professor at U Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. He's an author, he's a teacher, he's a stimulator, really good thinking, and is now headed all of a sudden and this is to my great dismay because, uh, first off, I'm sure it's an outstanding institution, but it's not on the way to Wilmore, Kentucky, where I go about three, four times a year. And sometimes, as you know, Hunter, I stop by and see you. So he is headed to North Greenville University, going to be the provost there. So he's all up into academia. Hunter Baker, welcome to the program today. Happy to be with you. Listen, now, let me tell you why you're here. I'm sitting in my den, minding my own business. Now, my, this is my den. This is my house. Uh, you are a you're a big timer, but you're not so big where you are like uh, a household name. Not yet, just a, anyway. Just a regular guy. Just yep. a regular guy that that you know writes books and wins awards and and is a provost and things like that. But still, you're not a household name. But I'm Certainly sitting not. in my den and just minding my own business, and all of a sudden. One of my kids say, yeah, I, I loved it. And, and by the way, Hunter Baker was the one that recommended it. I thought, wait a minute, I know him. And it wasn't 30 seconds later when another book, they were my family, and I got some budding intellectuals in that family, but another member of my family says, yeah, and how about that book? And by the way, Hunter Baker also recommended that book. I'm thinking, what's going on here? Hunter Baker's now... A household, literally now, a household name. In a, the freedom freedom in, a freedom in household name. Yeah. I should have wrote down the names <laughs> of the books. So congratulations. We're talking about you. Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> is that all you got is sounds good? Well, I mean, look, I'm, I'm happy. I mean, I mean the, the point of recommending a book is because you want other people to read it. So, it, you know, if I hear that, uh, that your kids are reading stuff that I'm recommending, that I'm satisfied. Well, there you go. So where do you do these recommendations? Why why don't I know more about these recommendations? <clears throat> well, I mean, it's probably uh, when I do stuff like that these days, it's probably just social media, just Twitter and uh, Facebook. Um, that that had know, to be or, it. Or I bet Instagram. It was Facebook. 
Yeah. What's that? I, I imagine it was Facebook. <clears throat> yeah. So I do a lot of that. You know, in the old days, I used to blog. Um, but, you know, it's just easier just to kind of go with social media now. Um, you know, in addition, you know, in case people are interested, um, most of my short form content these days goes to World Magazine. Uh, nice. They have a they have a feature called World Opinions, mm. and we're doing three pieces there every single day. Um, so you know, feel free to check that out. Wow, and I love World Magazine. Just love that. That's so great. I didn't I did not know that. I'm gonna, you yeah. go check that out. So well, listen, uh, Hunter Baker's with us here, and again. He is at the Union University in Jackson, Tennessee, headed to North Greenville University, going to be provost there. But the reason I have you on today is if my family thinks your recommendations for books are so great, I want to I don't want to get I want to feed my podcast community with your good thinking on maybe books they ought to be considering in the future. First off, I want to get to your books. Now, one of the reasons you and I got to got in touch with each other this week is we both won awards from Christianity Today this week. Was that a surprise to you? Uh, it was a surprise, uh, certainly for the reason you mentioned. I mean, our book was, uh, you know, it's an academic book. Everybody who wrote for it was a, uh, you know, professor, academic, um, probably all basically in Baptist institutions. We may have one outlier. One of the editors uh, works at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., uh, Paul D. Miller, but um, the the book is Baptist political theology, and um, I know. And I see, and I we've already talked about this. That ain't the kind of book <clears throat> that wins awards. Bap, yeah, off, just think about: it. is that a book you <clears throat> want to pick up if you if you Hunter Baker are walking through a library thinking, "Oh, look, Baptist political theology." Let me pick that up. An yeah. edited volume, no less, by a bunch of guys out there. Well, you know, and I can tell you, I have been. Uh, a judge for the Christianity Today Book Awards before. Have you? Um, and, wow. uh, you know, the way it works is, is that they sort of pre-select maybe, say, five books or or something like that. Um, <clears throat> and then they send them all to you uh, and they want you to kind of, you know, rank them. And it it must have just been the case that that a that that book got their attention and then that the, the jury of judges um chose it you know I, I i will say this uh based on the people who are contributing i think that uh it's probably the kind of people who write in a pretty um accessible and readable fashion and i think that we're at a point where uh politics in the us have become so charged and and full of controversy that um people are interested in knowing what <clears throat> what are the political beliefs that sort of go along with uh, a particular strain of Christianity? In our case, the Baptist faith. Yeah. Um, well, and let me just say, uh, it must <clears throat> be awfully good because uh, like I said, now I think we both would agree on this edited volumes to a slice of evangelicalism. One wouldn't think that works. That wouldn't win an award at any case. <clears throat> and it did. I just, so congratulate, yeah. by the way, what, what was your chapter on in that book? My chapter was on economics. Economics, interesting. Yeah, Baptists and economics. Okay, so don't want to just just for interest's sake. Uh, <clears throat> I co-authored a book, and it was actually tri-authored with uh, Tom McCall, who's a former student of of, of ours here at Wesley Biblical Seminary, and now is probably the premier Wesley Arminian thinker in uh, in the nation, maybe the world. 
And anyway, he wrote a book and he asked me to contribute to it and my son. So it's McCall Friedman and Friedman. And it won the award for theology, the best doctrine book, apparently. Yeah. So if you if you win the theology award uh, for Christianity Today's book awards, I think that's pretty significant. I well, I, uh, yes, it's significant, but I, I'm uh, I'm very grateful that Tom McCall, who probably did the heavy lifting on that volume, as as did my son, did the biblical part of that thing. Very proud of them. Very very happy. Anyway, it's kind of fun to get some you know recognition this week, and I'm very proud of you, Hunter. Way way to go on that. Uh, good stuff. Now we want to. I, I want to just bring everybody up to date on three books you've written and some major thinking out of those books that would help us in our lives of discipleship today. You've written a book called End of Secularism, a book called Political Thought, and a book called System Has a Soul. So let's yep. take those one by one, and I want you to kind of articulate to us why should it matter to us as we live our Christians' lives today and try to make disciples. Let's start with End of Secularism, and I think, Hunter, that's how we know each other. I asked you on the Matt Friedman Show years ago that's to talk right. about that volume. Matt Friedman show in the fight. Yes, uh, with, with various <laughs> photos of a belligerent-looking Matt Friedman uh, there on the website. Uh, <laughs> yes, and and you know, actually, for a while, Matt, um, I was on your show every month for yes. a significant period. Um, so, the end of secularism is probably my most well-known book. Um, Basically, what I did was, you know, a, a lot of people take this view that, um, well, we live in a pluralistic nation. There's lots of different religious faiths, and we can solve this problem by just uh, having a secular public square, right? Religion gets pushed out. Um, you know, you do that on Wednesday night or Sunday um, or at home. You don't bring it to work. You don't bring it to government. You know, it stays out. And uh, I wrote my book to uh, to really try to conclusively demonstrate that secularism doesn't fulfill any of the things it promises, that it, you know, that it does not produce public peace and harmony, um, that it doesn't produce a more rational society. Um, and and that that really all it ends up doing is favoring the viewpoint of a particular slice of the population uh, to the exclusion of everyone else. And so, so that's what that book is, right? It's just kind of a, you know, kind of, I give some history of the sort of the church state question, uh, you know, how religion has interacted uh, in politics in the West um, with, you know, particular focus on the U S and then I, then I talk about these elements that I've described. Um, and, and really it's one of these things where, I wrote the book that I wanted to read. I had never, I had never quite found the book that did that, right. You know, as I describe it. And so that's what I wrote. And, um, you know, at that point I was not, I had not published any books. Um, I walked in the door of Crossway uh, publishing mm. um, in Chicago. You know, I, I was there, uh, well, the Chicago area, I was there to visit a friend and I just walked in the door and, um, talked to them about this book and bang, they published it. That's uh, just awesome. That's how, crazy. that's how you publish a book. You, you show up in person and intimidate them into the publishing your uh, volume. That's, 
that's that's gold. I think I think the Lord was just with me on that one because no, that would typically that it would not happen that way. It yeah. sounds to me like Ecclesiastes writ large. Uh, Ecclesiastes is more of a the, the the key word there is hevel hevel. So it's empty empty, uh, temporary temporary, meaningless meaningless. Uh, that it, it's almost like Ecclesiastes is the end of uh, secularism writ large, and you, you just expanded that out to the culture. I think it's great, great, great. Oh, so that's end of secularism. Look for that volume, yep. uh, the guys out there listening to the podcast. Next book, Political Thought. Tell us about yeah, that. Yeah, po- Political Thought: A Student's Guide, um, which is a a short book. You know, maybe a hundred and twenty pages, something like that. Um, and that book was really aimed at uh, helping Christians to understand what political thought is. You know, not not kind of. Um, the partisan battle that we constantly observe, right? But a but a broader, more conceptual way of thinking about political thought, right? Mm-hmm. And why Christians should care about it. Um, and it's really interesting. So my wife is is not a political person. She's a she's a science and medicine kind of a person. And uh she read Political Thought a Student's Guide. And that's that's the one thing that I wrote that really resonated with her. You know, she so she's more of a more of a, a normal type reader, and she really liked that book. Mm. And I will say it's interesting. That book has since been translated into Italian um, and is now being translated into Chinese. How about that? So wow. I'm excited. I'm excited about potentially, you know, having a good influence um, in some other countries. So when whenever a Christian conservative these days starts talking <clears throat> politics, I get nervous. Because uh, I have no idea where we're going with the conversation. I don't get nervous with you, Hunter. I know exactly where you're going with it. You're going with the faith. I mean, we, we got to talk politics. Some people of faith have got to get involved in it. Right. Uh, if we're not involved in it, we just we just left it up to the pagan culture, and we can't do that. And so I'd love. The, by the way, I'm going to go order these books for myself. Uh, or we have the end of secularism. I, I don't have these other two. So it's end of secularism, political thought, and then system has a soul. What's that about? Yeah, so the system has a soul. The origin on that one is that um, I was invited to give a series of endowed lectures at Southern Seminary um, about a decade ago, a little more. And um, so, you know, I had to produce these three significant lectures for that series. And I thought to myself, uh, I'm going to I'm going to try to turn this into a book. And so the core of the book is those three lectures, which to, together constitute the system has a soul. Um, and then, uh, and, and so I'm talking about secularism. I'm talking about um, the way we think about uh, economics and how that relates to secularism and to faith. Um, and I'm also talking about uh, religious liberty. Of course, that's, you know, one of my, as a Baptist in particular, that's one of my overriding interests um, is religious liberty. So those things are the core of the book. Um, and then I also include a number of other essays I've written, you know, of interest to you. One of them is about, uh, Christian schooling and race, uh, you know, kind of, kind of a call in one of those essays for Christian schools to, uh, to go out of their way, uh, to try to bring in, um, children of other races, Beautiful. uh, as kind of a, a mission type objective. Beautiful. Great stuff. Uh, real quick. Um, so end of secularism, political thought system has a soul. I, I, I love this stuff. And I love a man that uh, holds in good balance, faith and uh, 
political thought, which is not an easy thing to do. Uh, Why is the balance so hard? Uh, I think we can lose all sensibilities and start rooting for the team, uh, Republican or Democrat, or rooting for the team, Team Trump, and everything else just goes to the wayside. Uh, How do you hold those things in good balance, Hunter? Well, I think that I think that politics offers a lot of um, immediate gratification. Uh, you said the team, right? I mean, I think that I, I th- so I have neighbors, for example, um, who every Saturday that they can, uh, they are headed to Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, or wherever the volunteers are playing, and they will be involved in the SEC activities of the weekend. That's what they do, right? That is that is the primary, you know, orientation of their life, and um, you know, and there and and that it culminates in this contest on Saturday, and they are satisfied, you know, unless they lose and then they're devastated. <laughs> um, unless so that, they that, lose, and, yes. and politics, politics works like that as well, right? You know, you you have these. You're you're in this huge pitched struggle, and you're watching the polls, and uh, you're you're watching the news, which primarily, instead of really talking about the issues, tends to talk more about the horse race aspects: who's winning, who's losing, right? You know, who looks good, who looks bad, um, and then it culminates in the election. You know, every two years or four years or or whatever. Um, and so there's a lot of, uh, there's an addictive element to that. There's a lot of gratification in that. Um, but the thing that I have, and, and, and I would say that when I was younger, I was more, um, oriented that way myself. Um, what I have begun to really become convinced of is, is that the most important thing I can say about politics is that Jesus Christ is the king. That's that's the most significant political statement that I can make. Um, And we all we all we Christians, we all need to be thinking that way. And that will help us to kind of elevate above the fray. Right. Yes, we need to participate. We have stewardship. We we have the right to vote. We have the right to speak. We should steward that just like we steward our our money and our time um, and things like that. But um, we need that orientation toward the kingship of Christ. And and the other thing is, is that the Bible tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? That will not happen <clears throat> because we elected the right president, uh, because we, we had the right political program. That's just going to happen, full stop, right? That will be the irresistible power of the true king uh of the universe right that's that's going to happen and we need to also focus on that uh yes. instead of you know living or dying with with Donald Trump or or you know even Ronald Reagan yeah well as as uh well for the liberal that's listening or Joe Biden or Barack Obama I mean absolutely yeah whoever you want to fill in there I uh I reminded that Chuck Colson always used to say uh, the kingdom of God does not fly in on Air Force One. And right. furthermore, it doesn't. Well, well, I used to have a mentor that we'd we'd have an hour together every Friday by phone. And uh, and I asked him one time, so what's the first lesson you teach a young disciple? He says, easy. He says, there is a king and you are not he. <laughs> there is a king and you're not him. 
And I think by extension, we could say there is a king and that king's not the president of the United States or your governor or your mama. I mean, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, that's got to be a serious discipleship lesson. But it's so hard to learn in politics, I think. Well, and, you know, one of the things that that kind of occurred to me and, I, you know, I'm just a, with regard to the Bible, I'm just a layman. I'm not a I'm not a theologian like you. Uh, but I <clears throat> when I read you know, Kings and Chronicles and the, the, the story of Israel's Kings, right. You know, they, they want a King. Um, God warns them about the, the consequences, but they get their, they get their line of Kings. And if you were to make a chart of these Kings, it would be just a disastrous <laughs> telling, right. I mean, I mean, out of the, out of the whole group, what, maybe, <laughs> maybe three, Maybe no, it's three, terrible. It's terrible. Uh, you know, uh, there's anything to recommend them, and and really one of the best, maybe the best, is David. And, and, and of course, we we know, you know, we know the substantial drawbacks there. Oh right? my goodness, no, no good kings from the Northern Kingdom, as you say, a small, small, small handful, not even a handful in the Southern Kingdom, and and then you have David, and then but then you got to say, yeah, and then they have that that Bathsheba thing, and by the way, he was a lousy parent even after Bathsheba, just yeah. terrible, just terrible. And, and by the way, so so one thing I think that one of the lessons of that is, is that the only true king, the only king worthy of the name, is Jesus Christ. Good right? stuff. So there's that. But the other thing, so you mentioned that with David. The other thing that's interesting is, is that my pastor drew attention to the genealogy that Matthew offers, hmm. uh, you know, the genealogy of, of, of Jesus, right? And it's interesting. The line is David with the wife of Uriah. And it's fascinating. It's fascinating, oh, no. right? Not covering anything up, right? You know, it, if the Bible were kind of a fantasy tale, you wouldn't tell it that way, right? Yeah, you know, that, yeah, that's good. But but if David with the right wife of Uriah, right, you know, produces one of the people in the line. We're with the great Hunter Baker, the legendary Hunter Baker. He uh, he is uh, on the administration. Not, not a household teacher. name. Well, not yeah, a household see, name, as you pointed out. Not a household name, but legendary nonetheless <laughs> in my house, apparently. Uh, he's here today because two of my family members says, yeah, and Hunter Baker recommended that book. So he's a good recommender and a good writer of books. At any rate, he's at uh, right now, he's at Union University in Jackson, Tennessee, soon to be at North Greenville University in North Carolina as provost. Check out those schools. And by the way, let me do a really quick uh, advertisement here. Um we have a sub stack. By the way, Hunter, think about this. Uh, you say you used to do a blog. Now the new thing is sub stack. Oh my goodness. Right. It's so easy to do. And and, and people, all your students are going to, all your students, all your schools are going to want to pick right up on it. But I've got a, it's called Freedy's sub stack. That's my nickname, Hunter, in case you were wondering. Freedy's sub stack. So go check that out. Furthermore, I want you to go to amazon.com and check out these two books. The first one is The Doctrine of Good Works that won this week the best volume in doctrine this year, which surprised me and uh, honored to be a part of it. I, I try off of that with a gentleman named Tom McCall and my son, Caleb. So go check out The Doctrine of Good Works and check out Hunter Hunter Baker uh, was a contributor to something called Baptist Political Theology. 
And I, I'm, I assume it's going to be extreme. I haven't read it, but I'm assuming it's going to be a very balanced, give you a lot of great insights of to what the substantial, the most substantial evangelical denomination in America is thinking about uh, political theology. And boy, we've got to do some good thinking there. And I don't know about anybody else's chapters, but Hunter Baker's going to have a great chapter in there. So check that book out, Baptist Political Theology. And um, uh, again, check out that sub stack now. Okay. So we, we, we've covered your books. Now I want to turn the corner here real quick, Hunter, and ask for your recommendations for this next year's reading for the life-changing discipleship podcast audience. What is there out there, both old, both new, whatever, whatever you can conjure up, just give us three or four books that we need to begin thinking about reading if we want to deepen our lives in Jesus this year. Okay, uh, so I'm going to start with the book that made a Christian out of me, um, hmm. which was uh, Between Heaven and Hell by Peter Kreeft. Um, it was published by InterVarsity uh, back in the 1980s. And um, people may not know this, but John F. Kennedy, um, C.S. Lewis, and Aldous Huxley, who was the writer of Brave New World, those those three men died within 24 hours of each other. And uh, so the book is a discussion between those three somewhere between heaven and hell. Wow. Uh, you know, short book, but very profound and um and of course, uh, it has some kind of powerful apologetics because C.S. Lewis is basically basically asking questions in kind of a Socratic way and leading John F. Kennedy and Aldous Huxley to Christ. Uh, so it's just a it's a great it's a great book. And you know when I when I encountered the book, I was sort of a I was sort of a wannabe Christian who didn't understand many things. And after I read that book. I found that I that I really believed in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. Between Heaven and Hell by Peter Kreeft. And I've often heard about this book, but never known the actual title to go get it. So y'all go get it. Uh, Between Heaven and Hell by Peter Kreeft, number two. All right, let's go. Let's go with C.S. Lewis again. Let me give you two quick C.S. Lewis's. Uh, I'll cheat by putting those together. Uh, one is The Great Divorce. Yep. Uh, which is also an afterlife book. It is not about uh, ending your marriage. Uh, and it's uh, it's about it's about people who are, um, you know, they, they appear to be dead. They appear to be in kind of a sort of an intermediate state between heaven and hell. There's a theme here, isn't there? And uh, and they have the opportunity uh, to sort of experience heaven. And what what is so amazing about it is, is that you have these people who who go to heaven and you find out that heaven is not is not the airy ethereal place heaven is the most real place right like we we are like ghosts and phantoms uh next to heaven and you know the people like us who travel to heaven it's almost like the grass is too too substantial for them to even be able to stand on it you know and the sunlight is too powerful for them to, to endure. Um, and so it's just this wonderful uh, description of, of heaven and how, how people like us would encounter heaven. Um, we, we all think that, that we, that we want heaven, that we're oriented, oriented toward heaven. And Lewis shows that actually there's a lot in the way 
for us, right? That we have all of our little gods and idols that are kind of uh, in the way and preventing us from encountering Christ. Um, it's so outstanding. It's yeah, it's it's so outstanding though. Yeah. And um yeah, this this bus ride to hell they go on is just like, oh my goodness. And 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 as you say, just so many great pictures of heaven and hell and what hell really means for a, a believer. Okay, so between heaven and hell by Peter Kreeft, uh C.S. Lewis's Great Divorce, number yep. three. And then then my other my other Lewis book to go with it, um, The Abolition of Man. Uh, which is another one of the the really short C.S. Lewis books, and and that's where he kind of uh, tries to show people that you know God has really uh, built a, a moral code into the into the hearts of men, right? You know, and and he kind of and he he has this great appendix to the book where he shows kind of this continuity uh, throughout history and across the globe of a variety of sort of moral precepts, right? And then he talks about how um, in the modern age, uh, we have sort of an elite class, he calls them conditioners, who are trying to basically take the heart out of people, right? To, To replace what God has put in their heart with something else, you know, uh, through advertising, through propaganda, um, by making them doubt the reality of any of any moral proposition, um, and and it is also wonderful. It is. Is it okay if I read the most uh, a quotable quote out of there? Absolutely. Yeah. It says, uh, "We make men." It was C.S. Lewis writes, "We make men without chests and expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and bid the geldings be fruitful." That's right. <laughs> and I think the whole point is if followers of Christ live as people with chest, that is strong hearts filled with the truth of God, the world's going to take notice. And I think it also take notice if we don't have chess. So that's right. Well, and Lewis, Lewis is such a great scholar, you know, in that, that image of the chest, what he's doing is he's looking at Plato's work because Plato divides the the human soul into the reason, the head, the will, the chest, and the appetite, which is the stomach, right? Yeah. And and so so you know, Plato is focused on the reason, um, uh, but Lewis is focused on the chest, right? The will, you know, sort of this uh, this sense of of honor and and uh, and justice, and um, you know, sort of moral sensibilities and and propositions. And he's saying that you know what we're doing is we are we are making, as he says, men without chests. Yeah, it sounds more like the comprehensive, the Lewis is more interested in the comprehensive understanding of the Hebrew word heart instead mm. of just simply brain. Good. Okay, yeah. so we're doing good. I'm going to let you have one more. So we got Between Heaven and Hell by Peter Kreeft, Great Divorce and the Abolition of Man by C.S. Lewis. And lastly, you're going to say of any of the texts I could offer oh the life-changing discipleship podcast listening uh. audience, it would be this one. All right, I'm just going to go crazy and say uh, the Brothers Karamazov um, by Dostoevsky, the the great Russian novelist. Um, and the reason I'm going to say that is because it is one of the most amazing spiritual books that I've ever read. A lot of people think that it's the greatest novel that has ever been written. It is absolutely, certainly written from a Christian perspective. Um, you know, I, I won't 
there, there's sort of a, you know, kind of a, a statement at the end that I deeply cherish, but people don't ever want me to share that because they don't want me to spoil kind of the, the end of the book. But all I can say about Dostoevsky, look, it's a, it's a big book. Um, it, it will take a while to read, but I don't know that I have ever had a book, certainly not a novel that I have looked back and there were so many things that I underlined or highlighted or, you know, put a little sticky flag next to, or, or something like that. It is just so incredibly profound and, and filled with spiritual insight. And, and the thing that makes Dostoevsky different from every other novelist is he takes his characters and he just turns them inside out. You can just feel their emotions and their motivations in such a raw way, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, you, you can so identify with where these people are and, and how they're thinking. And, um, you know, so even there's even one section of the novel, the grand inquisitor, uh, that, uh, is often reprinted outside of the novel itself because it is so memorable. Um, but yeah, it's just a, just an absolute must read. I would encourage any Christian who likes books, uh, to read that book. All right, so I'm going to run through these books one last time here. Uh, Hunter has written three books. Take them seriously. End of Secularism, Political Thought, A Student Guide, and System Has a Soul. But then he says, okay, also on your birthday and and, and Christmas wish list for your loved ones ought to be Between Heaven and Hell by Peter Kreeft, uh, C.S. Lewis, and I I think he'd probably say anything by C.S. Lewis, but particularly The Great Divorce, and the abolition of man, and then uh, Dostoevsky has written a book called *The Brothers Karamazov*. That, again, uh, Hunter says some people think it's the greatest novel ever written. So that's saying something. Hunter, man, I appreciate our friendship, and I appreciate you being on the program today. Thanks so much. Happy to be with you. And listen, we got a class. I know you move. You're moving even further away from me. I mean, you're already five hours away. You're thinking about going like lots further, but. I want to continue to collaborate on some things. Is that a deal? Absolutely. And I just want to say, I mean, I want to encourage people. It's so, it's so amazing to think about that, uh, you know, you and I just last January, just last January, I went to Jackson, Mississippi uh, to meet a friend from Houston. It's kind of an in-between place for the two of us. And suddenly it occurred to me, you know what? We need to go meet Matt Friedemann. So, you know, you told us a good place to go to breakfast and we met you there and you told us about this book. Yeah. Little did we know that it was going to end up being the Christianity Today uh, Theology uh, Award winner. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. So so we'll just say one more time. Go check out these two books. Hunter's written in one that won the award for, let's see here, politics and public life. He wrote a chapter in Baptist political theology. Whether you're Baptist or not, you're going to find it fascinating. And then, of course, uh, the book put out by McCall Friedemann and Friedemann uh, called The Doctrine of Good Works. So, hey, Hunter, love and appreciate you, man. Thanks so much. It's it's a wrap. It's an honor to have you listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast with Matt Friedemann. Always, always tell other people about this podcast. And remember, my wife thanks you, my daughter thanks you, my sons and their wives thank you, and I can assure you that I thank you for listening to Life-Changing Discipleship today. Love God, live clean, keep the faith, make disciples, and God bless you, dear friends. We'll see you back here real soon.